This is the GGC Life Podcast. We are going to be chatting around Ephesians. Today we're uh, going to be reading from the end of Ephesians chapter 4 into uh, some bits of Ephesians 6. But I wanted to get a bit of a um, still quick overview from 1, 2, 3, and 4, and then we'll dive straight into the end of 4, 5, and 6. And wish me good luck, please, because there's a lot to cover. First off, I want to say the book of Ephesians, this incredible book, as Dad has already shared with us, was written by Paul, an apostle, and uh, we just got to remember this. So let's start, let's start with this. Uh, the Lord himself, Jesus said um, that he would build this church. He says that the church is built on uh, the Christ as the cornerstone and then the prophets and apostles as the foundation of the church. And so what does that mean? Okay, so Jesus, I might even have a slide for this. Here we go. Okay, the church, you and I, we are built. We're called to be built on, the, on Christ as the cornerstone. So everything comes out of him. You guys know what a cornerstone is? Are there any tradies in the room? Okay, so here's my uh, attempt at trying to illustrate a little bit of what's going on. We've got Christ here. If anyone can read it, give it up for Jesus. Come on. The reason why we're here. And... Uh, Christ is our starting point. Out of, you know, you know we, start, we start with Christ because Jesus is perfect theology. And then we've got prophets that pointed to Christ through all Old Testament scripture. So the, the Old Testament scripture doesn't become obsolete. The prophets, and we're not talking about today's prophets. We're actually talking about the prophets in the word of, of the Lord. Permanent scripture, it's been written, it's recorded. The prophets point to Jesus and the apostles that Jesus, the original 12, the apostles that Jesus uh, instated, the people that were sent out by him, we build our doctrine, we build our lives, we build the church, we build our ministries, we build our families, everything should be built on that. And let me tell you something, I didn't get a chance to uh, write this, but let's say, I think I might have another slide, a couple of um, uh, bits forward, another pink one. Here we go, okay. Let's say you've got a dream or an ambition. Let's say you've got, you know, um, you know, you want to start a ministry. You know, maybe you want to plant a church. Maybe you've got these, you know, you're struggling with compassion for the world and how to have compassion for the world, how to have love for the world. Uh, you know, maybe you want to, you're entering into a relationship or you're starting a family, you're married to someone, whatever it is. Um, maybe God's speaking to you because who knows that the Lord still speaks today. Amen. God still speaks today. There are still prophets today. And we're going to get into that. Ephesians talks about how once Jesus left, he actually gave the church apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. A different set of new gifts uh, given to the church to bless the church. But we're talking about these, this original foundation. Now, when God speaks to us, when there's revelation, when there's prophetic, we have the absolute, like we're so blessed that we actually have something to build on. Imagine we didn't have something to build on. You know what happens? If we, if we had a word and we just, if we release the word without a foundation, that word can go askew very quickly. In fact, if we don't have the foundation that Christ set in place to get us started, then we're, no, we're actually preaching another faith. We're preaching another gospel. And I've seen it time after time where with good intentions, say someone wants to preach a message of love or acceptance, maybe someone wants to preach or has a prophetic word to help someone, if it is not aligned with Christ and the prophets and the apostles that he set in place, let me tell you, it's another faith and it will destroy. Everybody say, it will destroy. So God's called us to build responsibly. If there's a ministry in your heart that God's, you know, he's burdened you with to contend for, then I encourage you, get into the Word and see what the Word says about how you ought to uh, carry out that ministry. Let me tell you something. People start ministries all the time, and it can turn into, if we're not careful, it can turn into a, a celebrity sort of, um, you know, follow me club. But who knows that the apostles talk about how, um, you know, Paul actually refers to him and Timothy as servants of the church. Paul even says of himself that he is the scum of the earth. It's like it's very, it's almost like a massive contrast with what we see a lot of in today's church and in ministries where it's people that are looking to actually uh, create, you know, their own sort of platform that people can follow. 
The whole point is that we should be pointing to Jesus. That's one example. Let's say, what about relationships? You know, relationships can become idols. Dreams and ambitions, if they're not submitted to Christ, they can lead us astray and it becomes idolatry. And we're going to be talking about idolatry a little bit today. Um, But that's the big thing. thing. Ephesians 2, sorry, Paul writes about this. And he says in Ephesians 2 verse 20, as God's household, you are built. Turn to your neighbor and say you. Turn to your other neighbor and say you. Find one more neighbor and say you. Very good. A lot of neighbors. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself at the cornerstone. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we don't even know it. Sometimes we take it for granted because we're in such, we are in such an incredible era, you know, in the life of the church, maturity of the church. Jesus has continued to see his church mature. That's just a matter of the fact. But if we, I guess, if we forget the simple gospel, if we graduate from seeing Jesus as the center, we get messed up real quick. It's actually happened to a lot of churches. This wasn't a part of the preach, but let me just let you know something. Have you ever heard of the concept of deconstruction? Okay, let me tell you why deconstruction, don't, don't, uh, don't crucify me just yet. Let me tell you why deconstruction can be helpful. Let me explain. If you, let's say you've built a church, you know, and you start to, you know, not that we build the church, but let's say you built a ministry or a church, right? And you start pulling pieces apart and you have a look. The purpose of any deconstruction should be to check that what you've been building, maybe the way we sing songs, write songs, the preachers that we preach, the ministries we've set up, let's go and check that they're built on the Word. We don't deconstruct the foundation, we deconstruct what we've built. And so if, if you're a mature saint, a son and daughter, the, the word actually talks about judging things. And so we can judge these things. We can check it out. And you know what? I think that's what the fire of God is. So when the fire of God comes, there's this auto deconstruction that we don't even, we're not even working in. He's working in. Um, but he, the Lord would never just deconstruct his Messiah and the prophets and apostles that spoke of him. Now, here's another just quick thing. If you've got any like, you know, um, <laughs> if there's any like, pe- anyway. Let me just say this. (laughs) Jesus, there's one time in Scripture where within the same era of Jesus' original, you know, 12 apostles, um, that he instilled Paul. So, So, okay, so apostles are people that had seen Jesus and been sent by Jesus. The original, what scholars call super apostles, okay? There are apostles today that God uses to see kingdom advance, to see heaven on earth culture established, so, and, and plant churches, that's what apostolic culture is today, to see um, earth manifest heaven. But back then, apostles meant they were actually sent by Jesus, the original apostles, they knew Jesus. And so um, Jesus sets up Paul. Paul actually has a visitation from Jesus. And so uh, he's actually visited by Jesus. And so he's, he's added to that original group of apostles um, But let me just say this. If Jesus really thought his apostles were messing it up in doctrine, the letters he wrote, let me tell you why Jesus backs the book of Ephesians. It's because he didn't come back and fix it. This is his original plan. He spent three years pouring into these apostles so that they would have his culture and his heart. And and we we know that this word, the apostle word, comes from... The apostle word comes from when Caesar... The Roman emperor would uh, gather apostles and send them to new, newly conquered lands to establish culture so he would feel at home wherever he went. Yeah. All the new lands they went. That's, that's the apostolic culture we still carry today. So as, uh, we should be apostolic people and we should be preparing the land for Jesus' return. That's our, that's our call today. But that was also the call of the apostles. They were advancing the kingdom and they knew his heart. And so we get to build on that. Okay, is that clear? So... What the apostles wrote in New Testament scripture, they need, everybody say they need. They need to be the building blocks of our faith. They need to be the building blocks for our revelation, our ambitions, everything. It should submit to that. If you find something in scripture, um, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not missing things. I I got something that I feel like the Lord was saying. If you feel like you've set up an incredible ministry or God's got a dream for you and there's something that's not, you know, there's something that's kind of contradicting it in the Word. So the Word's contradicting you, and you're stumbling over Christ. Who's, who's the problem? Is Christ the problem, or are we the problem? We're the problem. And so we have this opportunity to, 
uh, let me pull up the scripture. Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. Here we go. Jesus is. Has anyone ever offended you? Yeah? I know you're bumping people beside you, probably bumping your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Let me tell you something. That person that offends you has something in common with Jesus. Jesus is the great offender. Not Avenger. The great offender. <laughs> He's an avenger as well. But anyway, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 to 8 says this. For those who do not believe the stone, we're talking about Jesus, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's speaking of the, God had called the Israelites to be his own people, to represent him on earth, but they rejected the very one that would bring ultimate fulfillment of everything they were called to walk in. So they built without him. And so now they're coming and they're, you know, Jesus, they're building something over here and they keep tripping over this thing and they're trying to push this thing away because it doesn't fit in with what they've been trying to build. They're going to have to pull everything down to get, to get building again. And so it says of Jesus in this same scripture, verse 8, 1 Peter 2, verse 8, write this down, tattoo it on your arm. Remember, this is God speaking to us. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense is Jesus. And they stumble because they disobey the word. So when we offend, when we get offended, guess what? It's an opportunity to grow. I heard someone once say in another church, he said that we need to be in church so we can be offended. I was like, what? And I was like, what sort of church are you running? Nah, I was just thinking like, you know, everyone hates getting offended. We talk about dismantling offense and being, you know, whatever, you know, but what he was trying to bring across was the fact that without offense, there's no room or opportunity for growth. So when someone offends me, um, I I don't think what's wrong with the person, when I'm in the right place, I look at myself and I'm like, why did that offend you? You've been forgiven so much and you're holding this debt against this person. And so, but it's the same way with things that we build, our family, our lives, everything. When we're reading scripture, it doesn't fit. There's something going on. We've got to pull some things down. Okay. All right. So we're talking about, you know, we, we, we've been labeling um, this series the biblical blueprint. And so we're going through this biblical blueprint. These are like building blocks of our faith. Um, and let me just say this. Um, Daniel Kalender posted this this week. Jesus never responded to the devil's temptations by telling him what he had experienced. When Jesus responded to the devil, every time he said, it is written. And like bad news is that we're definitely the most biblically illiterate generation that the church has ever seen. Like let's be sober and like real about it. You know why it is? It's, I mean, it's because we can, we can Google search anything now. Like that never existed. You couldn't really have a faith without knowing the whole word. Um, you couldn't have a mature faith back then because you didn't know what to, to grapple onto. But let me tell you something. You know, when you're in the midst of something, when you're facing temptation, your phone is just too many steps away. There's a reason that we're told to keep his law on the, on the tablet of our hearts. God has called us to pursue him, to see him in everything. Um, so, but yes, Jesus quoted, he quoted the word. He said, it is written. Why? Because the word of God will not return void. And I just want to, again, this is just some groundwork before we get into it. I'm sure, I'm, I'm believing we're going to get into it. Um, groundwork. Uh, I want to define faith real quick. Okay. Faith has so much to do with scripture. All right, let's go to, we've got a slide on faith, I believe. Okay. Four massive circles. Um, we're talking about how your faith comes. What even is your faith? why we can then fulfill that faith, and when we see that faith fulfilled. Okay, we've got four scriptures. These are four verses. I encourage you to write these down, meditate on them, because they, they pull you deeper into conviction for the word. Okay, um, how it comes. Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. You must hear it. You must be, your ears must be open to what God is saying. So often we've built up all this stuff and we no longer want to hear what God even has to say. If you want faith, if you want to live a life 
that fulfills what God's called you to fulfill, you better open up um, your ears to what God is saying. That's how it comes. What is it? What is faith? Okay, we talk about faith. Faith is such a Christian word that we use. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it defines it. The assurance of things not yet seen. So it's the choice. It's the trust to believe that, okay, your word tells me to set up my family like this. Your word tells me to be faithful here, to be disciplined here, to not give in to what the world says about, about me and to not buy into what the world is offering, sins and pleasures and all of that. But I want those things, but I choose to put my faith in this word. Why? Because God said it, and so it gives me assurance of what I'm yet to see. I, I'm assured, I know God is faithful, so I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to live this out until I see the fulfillment of it. And so I keep walking it. Um, why can we be assured? As Isaiah 55:11 says of the Lord that his word won't return void. That's why we can have an assurance. That's why we know it's coming around the corner when it comes. It'll be coming around the corner when it comes. Sometimes it feels like that. It's like you're just you're contending in faith. You're praying. You're believing. You've already you've preached the gospel already to your family. You've been praying for healing. You've been contending for this and that, whatever it is, and, you, and you're contending for a word of the Lord or a promise that's in Scripture, and you've yet to see it. We were talking with the full-time students this week about Exodus and how we see this moment in the history of the Israelites where there's 430 years of exile happening, where they are foreigners as slaves in the land of Egypt. Everybody say 430 years. That's like five, six generations. Can you sustain faith beyond your generation? Are you setting your children, your children's children, your children's children's children up for kingdom success? Or is there an offense in you because of something you've yet to see that you'll, you'll then rob them of kingdom success because you step out of it? We, there's heaps of, there's, there's beautiful testimonies of multi-generational believing families um, but we also see in the beautiful testimony of brand new, um, you know, conversions, the first born in a, in a new line of generational believers. But how devastating is it when you see the generation cut and someone walks away because they've yet to see something? I'll tell you why. We're going to talk about it in a sec. But the big reason I think that people um, divorce their faith is because they are people of idolatry, self-idolaters. So we've become people that we're, we're always looking for what the world can give me. There's generations past that were, all, that were looking for what they could give to their nation and to their city, to their family. But now we're in a place where like, you know, and I'm, I'm, this isn't a diss, but you know, people, you, you go to your work and you say, I, I need a raise, otherwise I'm moving on. There used to be a time where people would stick with a business and they'd build with a business. I'm not saying what you should and shouldn't do. I'm just saying like you can tell there's, an, there's a shift, there's a a uh, socio-political shift in our generation that is it's even manifesting in the church. And that's why we now see also consumer-type churches rather than contributor-type churches. And so God's called us to contribute. All right, God's word doesn't return void. And lastly, here's the thing, when? Okay, Lord, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. When's this gonna happen? When's it fulfilled? Well, the word says this, faith without action is dead, James 2.17. So, Though we have been saved, not by our works, but by the grace of God through faith, faith is dead if we don't put action to it. So you, you get given a clean slate. That is the, that is the gospel. You know, how, how um, <laughs> hmm, uh, how, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I'm trying to think. Okay, Ethan, <laughs> Ethan. Let's say I'm constantly, oh, here's a good one. Let's say, okay, actually, it's perfect. I'm supposed to meet Ethan every two weeks to help out with youth stuff. Every now and then I get a little bit busy and I forget to meet with him. And so um, what happens is, you know, he's like, are we meeting today? Are we meeting today? Are we not going to meet again? You know, and it's this idea of like, I've, I've let him down. And so when I, he, he loses faith in me because I no longer have action. I don't have faith to give him. There's, there's no faith available because I'm, I'm breaking down what could be. I could be contributing to something, but I've stopped. 
Um, so God puts our righteousness in place, our salvation in place, and we are righteous as a gift, but the Lord also calls us to be righteous. You know the word of God, just like, let this hit you, and the, the point is to give you conviction. And don't label conviction as condemnation, okay? So often, I think as believers, we label conviction as condemnation because we don't want to get uncomfortable. But God is, is pulling us into this place of uncomfortability if we're outside of him. Again, Jesus, the stumbling rock, the offender. Um, if, <laughs> where was I at? Something about God has called us to be holy as he is holy, to be righteous, to give up things. And that's, to be honest, that's the scripture in Ephesians uh, 4, 5, and 6 that we're going to be talking about. Um, and there's this idea of a destination that we're getting to. Can you go to that bridge slide real quick? Um, so we're talking faith. We've got this idea of what faith is. If we want to get to the fulfillment of faith, okay, let's hear the word of God. Because the faith, you know, the faith comes by hearing the word of God. We can put our trust in the fact that his word won't return void um, and, and all of that. And then, but then on our end, we've been given this bridge. Jesus died for our sins. He's made a way. He's paved the way. But if we stay in our sin, if we choose to rebel from him, then we miss out on the fulfillment of our faith. So God has told us to action our faith. He's told us to live holy. He's also told us, um, you know, to represent him. And so there's all this stuff that God's called us to um, manifest in our faith, and he's saying, now contend for it. Now go after it. Now tell people about Jesus. The, when, it, when it says, um, put action to your faith, the illustration is this. If someone is uh, cold and you pray for them that they would be warm, what good is it? Give that person a cloak, something like that. Um, but give them something so that way they can be warm. And it's like this really practical sort of statement in what could be labeled a spiritual book. It says God is practical. God is calling us to do something about the faith that has been given, that has been given to us. Amen? Yeah. Okay, so let's build our dreams, our ambitions, our ministries, our personal revelation, our prophetic words, our relationships. Let's build it on the apostolic prophetic foundation. Faith will take us through to it, but we also have to do it. We've got to live it. Amen? Um, cool. We've got to live it. Everybody say, got to live it. And in an American accent, gotta live it. Gotta live it. All right. So, quick recap. Um, okay, we got four. I was gonna use these blocks, but we got four blocks that I wanna uh, cut. Uh, three blocks that we're gonna review and one block we're landing on. So, block number one, um, you can go to the block number one slide, is Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. Now, the whole point of this scripture, Dad kind of touched on it last week and the week before a bit, but it pretty much gives us an overview of the good news and what it means for us. The good news and what it means for us. Um, some of these scriptures are just like highlight scriptures if you want to pull them out. It's all important, but if you're trying to pull out like statements that you can confess, here's some of them. Verse three, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every, everybody say every. Every, every spiritual blessing in Christ, it's now yours. All of it, every blessing that you could ever imagine, ask for, think, or imagine, it's there in Christ. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We are redeemed. There's no second guessing. This isn't about, your salvation is sealed. Your salvation is sealed. Uh, verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which his purpose in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity, this is his purpose, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So what's, what's the purpose of what God did? Um, it's actually to reunite everything into his order, to see heaven on earth, to see heaven in your families, to see heaven in your business, your workplace, everything to come back into the order that it left. When we left him, when we first disobeyed him, we, we were plunged into darkness, to chaos. That original sin left the earth cursed. There's thorns in the earth. The, the word speaks about how there's thorns and how we would, know we would die at that day. So we had a limited time spent on this earth. There's diseases, pestilences, all of that. It's all a result of being separated from the life giver. You've seen something amputate, it dies very quickly. And so it's that same idea. Um, 
13, 14. So this is just the gospel. You know, you're included in the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. You're marked with a seal. You are given the Holy Spirit, a deposit of your inheritance. It's so awesome. And this is worship-worthy news. There is unmeasurable power available setting us up. This is the key. Everybody say setting us up. It's setting us up for more than we can imagine. So when we understand the fact that we are saved, we are delivered, we are healed, we're now set up and we're, we're, we're no longer here in the, in the mud, but we're actually on the rock and we can build. We're no, longer, we're no longer building on sand. You know, when you build on sand, no matter how incredible uh, you build, no matter all the plans you put together, no matter who you hire, uh, architects, construction workers, whatever, if it's built on sand, you're, you're gone when, when the, the, the right weather comes and to destroy you, but you're built on the rock. When you're built on the rock, then nothing can take you out. Nothing can take you out. So he says, I'm not given, I'm not giving thanks to you. I keep asking that the God of our Lord, Father, Jesus Christ, sorry, the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom revelation that you would know him better, that your eyes would be open to the riches of his glorious inheritance, incomparable great power for us who believe. That's the same power that raised Jesus, put him at the seat of, uh, uh, seated right hand of the heavenly realm, far above everything. Everybody say, above everything. All rule, all authority, all power and dominion. So it's, it, and it says that he placed all things under his feet and we united with him. So God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So what that means, if all things are under him and we are his body, then all things are under you. That means you are more than a conqueror. That means you can take on the things that you face. When you look at them and they're, they're screaming in your face that you're not gonna make it through this, you remind yourself who you're anchored to. The one that's, that's seated far above everything. He defeated death, defeated sin. If he can do it and he's given you a clean slate, now that you're connected to him and by the power of his spirit, you can do it too. Right. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Now this is the big setup. This is the saved by grace through faith, but to works and action. Not saved by works so that no one can boast. But we're saved by grace. Shows us, reveals to us the beautiful heart of the Father that we should then carry for others. Grace, freely giving grace to people around us. Um, you were dead in your, your sins. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the desires of our flesh, deserving wrath. But God, rich in mercy, um, gave us, uh, it was by grace. He made us alive with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. I'm just skimming through this because we've read it. Um, God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in heavenly realms. And it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. Here's the key. Everybody say, not by works. You're not saved by your works. It says, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Everybody say, to do good works. So we're not saved by works, but we're set apart to do good works. So he's restored us so we would be people on the earth that would be like a light and salt that would actually see the earth restored. He's, he's waiting on us to go out and see families healed and restored to see marriages restored, to see people get, get off the streets and enter into whatever he's called them to. There's all of this that he's called us to go after and he's, he's placed everything in Jesus and now that you're connected to Jesus, you have it all, okay? Okay, so that's block number one. Block number two was Ephesians. So like dad shared, the book of Ephesians, we wrote all the reference stuff in here so you can pull it apart, digest it in any sort of way. So the way I digested it, it just didn't work to go Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4. It just didn't work, unfortunately. Block number two is Ephesians 2, verse 11 to chapter, through chapter 3. So now this, this key, I'll just skim right through this, but this is beautiful. This is this idea of the gospel was given to us, but he's writing to originally the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, but also for others. So he says the gospel is for Jews and for Gentiles. What does that mean? In our, in our context, the gospel was given to you, the church, for your benefit, your blessing, but also for your neighbor, for your family, for those that don't yet know him. Don't keep this gospel to yourself. This is a gospel worth preaching. Do you believe it? If, if God has, has set you up and has put you on the right track and it's good enough for you, then it's good enough for someone else. And so the gospel is not for us. Now, why is this also a big you know, thing that we need to get, the fact that it's God's plan to redeem all mankind, that no one's excluded, all classes, all histories, uh, all, you know, for, for every, all through history, sorry. God's got this mission to redeem all mankind. Why is this important? This is a big one. 
that he's dealing with the issue of idolatry. And in our generation, it's self-idolatry, okay? Um, we, we see it mentioned in many times in the coming chapters, but think about the story of Jonah. You know how, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, you know how Jonah was sent to Nineveh to give them mercy and to say, hey, you need to repent or the Lord will be destroying this city in however many days? You know, the Ninevites weren't worshipers of Yahweh. They weren't covenant people. They weren't Israelites. How crazy is that? Do you know the Old Testament, though you see so little of it, the, the covenant given to the Israelites was a covenant to see the whole world blessed by that nation. But they kept it to themselves. And they built up all this stuff. And then that's why Jesus comes. And that's why it's such a stumbling block because it's so countercultural. It's for everyone. It's for every class, for man and woman. It's to restore rights and value everything to everyone. But here's the thing. What happened to Jonah and what happened to the Israelites and what happens to so many of us um, in and out of the church is we've begun living for ourselves. And so we look at what the gospel means for us. And we forget that the gospel is for other people. And that we are only parts in his story. Everybody say parts. So we can become so insular, self-indulgent, self-prioritizing that we think God's call belongs to us. We are only parts in his story. And the call is for all to be saved. This wasn't our idea. He's the head. So find your part in his story and help others to do the same. Amen? Block three, Ephesians four. This is an invitation to now echo. So it talks about the salvation, everything that Jesus paid the price for, and it's the beginning of saying, okay, so now live lives worthy. Verse one, I'm pretty sure, or two, is live lives, it says, so live lives worthy of this gospel. And then it's God's plan of action. So it talks about how Jesus, he ascends up to, to heavenly places, and from that place, this is how we distinguish the different types of apostles and prophets. This is after Jesus died and was resurrected. So Jesus ascended, and when Jesus is ascended, this is why all the fivefold gifts still exist today. If you, if you know other believers that tell you that, sorry, apostles, prophets don't exist today, pull out this scripture. Because the scripture says, when he ascended, when did he ascend? The Bible says, also, if he ascended, it means he also descended, which represents his death. So Jesus died and then ascended, and when he ascended, he gave gifts. So this is a completely separate um, gift giving to when he appointed the original 12 apostles. And so Jesus goes up and he gives the church apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. And you know what? The strategy here is that you cannot be equipped for ministry. You cannot uh, enter into maturity. And the body of Christ will never reach unity until we allow God's strategy for the church to be... um, to be executed, which is allowing the, the, the five folds to come in and challenge us where we're weak in. Amen? That's the maturity. Now, the end goal isn't to become one of these fivefold guys. The end goal is to become a saint, a mature saint, because then you represent Jesus. Yeah? Amen. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so it's this idea of we got we to know what sound doctrine is. Um, if there's sound doctrine, this is, this is key, and then we're going to go into this final section, which is what I want to touch on the most today. Um, right through Paul's letters, he implores, uh, Paul implores Timothy and the churches to be students of sound doctrine. So this is him as an apostle. Again, this is why we need apostles. But he says, he says to celebrate and be students of sound doctrine. So if there is sound doctrine, then there is unsound doctrine. That's when we build apart from uh, the established foundation. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4 says, The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, so what's, what is in contrast to sound doctrine? Instead, to suit their own desires, so it's, it's, self, um, it's for self, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, we're on YouTube, we're online, all of that sort of stuff. This isn't a, a rant against being online. Um, but let me tell you what the problem with being blessed by every single speaker and teacher is out there. It's that you're not truly submitted to anyone. You've become unhinged and now you get to choose what's on your plate. Again, this is coming back to what it looks like to be planted in a local church. The reality is you will get offended. And let me tell you something else. The reality is the elders in this church will probably get some things wrong along the way. But you get to be a part of the model that God set in place that by faith, remember, we can be assured of the end result. 
that where we fall short as elders and where gifts ministers that come in here to minister to us fall short, God will suffice. And then where, where you submit to that, God will protect you. You don't miss out just because you've obeyed in submission out of worship to God. You don't miss out on what God has in, uh, in plan for you because you've worshiped him through that, okay? Um, but then you also, you know, when it does go right, it's not all wrong here, but when it does go right and the elders are doing the right job and the gifts and all that, you get to reach maturity. And let me tell you something, as you reach maturity, maturity doesn't look like, like, you know, let's put it this way, okay? A prophet comes in and matures in the prophetic, so you've all, you've all been um, exposed to that. And then an evangelist, you've all been exposed to that. Then a teacher. You maturing eventually means the, um, the fivefold slowly, I mean, once we get to heaven, they become obsolete because we now have the fullness of the apostolic, prophetic, pastor, teacher, evangelist heart in us. We make up the fullness of Christ. And so it's this idea of like, you're not limited by the people in your church, your leaders in your church. You should probably, you'll, many of you will end up being way better preachers than me or any of the other preachers that come here, better prayers, better prophetic people in the sense of your accuracy and your ability. There's no, there's no ceiling, but there's a, there's a structure and an order that God put into place, and by faith, we choose to believe that it'll set us up, okay? Um, and this is the thing. So un, why is this key? Where sound doctrine will keep us on the straight and narrow, sure to arrive at the intended destination, so you've got faith, correct faith that allows you to land at the right destination. Unsound doctrine is skewed doctrine, where even if skewed, so even if it feels like it's skewed only one or two degrees, it's going to set you off big time, kilometers down the road. So you, you're on the straight and narrow, you're with Christ, you, you're doing everything that, you know, you've got sound doctrine, but if you start to have this doctrine that's about you and it's self-centered and you're pleasing yourself, like it might be coming from the right, you know, good hearts or whatever, but if you've read it wrong or whatever, you're listening to one thing after another, all of a sudden you're leading yourself down your own path and then you head off stage into this dark room and who knows what's behind here. But um, that's, that, um, what I'm trying to get at is like we need to go after sound doctrine and there's a pattern for that um, and it's important. Is that cool? Amen. Okay. Now let's get into what we wanted to talk about. Christian living, it's not, impo- it's not possible without these foundations. These, these three blocks so far, they're a part of what makes it possible to build our faith. Um, so block number four. Everybody say number four. Okay, this is where it gets juicy. This is the fruit of the tree. Okay, now you're probably going to read all of this and think we're all going to hell. <laughs> um, but the reality is Paul, for example, at one point had to write this to the church of Ephesians who were an incredible church. They were seeing revival in their city. They saw like, uh, dad's preached about this before, but like how many like millions of dollars were like were of sorcery and spells and all of that was burnt away. Do you remember? Something like four million. Yeah. Like just an insane amount of um, so there were a lot of sorcerers and people that did witchcraft in that area, very spiritual community, but they were submitting to Christ and they're realizing what we have is nothing compared to him. And so they were burning all of this stuff up. That's how much they were worshiping him. They were, imagine putting away the things that meant so much, or so much value to you and submitting to Christ. Anyway, they were an incredible church, yet they still had issues because so Paul wrote this letter to them. So let this, let this portion of the letter convict you fairly. It should convict you. Um, and try and keep the elbow nudging to a minimum. Amen. All right. The gospel goes beyond the good news of being forgiven of sins. We have a gracious God. Just wiped our slates clean. Yeah, we've chatted around that. Okay. Let's read through the scripture. Verse 17. Let's see if we can get through this. We're going to try this for eight minutes. Okay. Um, verse 17. So, everybody say so. so. And that's where we're going to stop. Okay. We've heard all of this stuff. And when it starts with so, it means a reaction, a response is required. We've been set up to be this holy people. We've been given salvation. We've been empowered. Even God chose, he says, you know what? I'm not going to leave you to your own peril. I'm going to send you gifts. I'm going to raise up gifts in your midst and they're going to mature you. Literally, all you have to do is stay on the straight and narrow. And then it says, so, now, now we've got this response that's required, um, So let's go to verse 17 to 19. I think there's some scripture up here. So I tell you this, 
and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Do away with it in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've become calloused. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge, again, it's that self-indulgence in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. This is this idea that's it's, it's written of in Proverbs where there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Without the word, we become hardened and callous. We give ourselves, you know, if we walk this path long enough, we've, we eventually find out we've got, fing, we've got fingers in our ears. We're no longer listening to the word of God. And then we can't hear him and then we can't have faith. We become callous to what God is trying to do and we're blind to the truth. We no longer want to walk into it. And it says we lost all sensitivity, and that's why we can say that the heart is deceitful above all things, aside from Christ. And so you have people like, you know, pushing this thing with you, and that you guys are arguing over something, in, I guess, in pop culture today and whatever. And you've got to understand that there's a reality to the fact that they might be completely calloused. And you've got to pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that God would, that God would but you've got to keep preaching that gospel. Because it's the gospel that is the hope to salvation. So keep preaching it. Um, but don't find yourself in that place. Don't find yourself unhinged. Um, yeah, people disagreeing, exclaiming things like, that's my truth. You know, you can't take my truth, all of that. That's, that's literally, the gospel is talking about my truth and your truth and whoever's truth 2,000 years ago. This isn't a new thing. This is the curse of humanity. This is when Eve chose to take that fruit and do something her way the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that I now define good and evil. That's the world we're living in. A world that says, I know what's good, I know what's evil, this is good for me, this is good for me. You, don't, you can't tell me what's good for me. So that's, this, is the, this is the difference. This is why, let me tell you, this is why the gospel is so in contrast to the world, is because the world is not the gospel, the world doesn't have the gospel. The world's tried for thousands of years, it's never found success. But you look at families, you look at people, you look at um, businesses that have founded themselves in, on, on the word and on Christ, you, see, you, might, you might not see it for like five years, 10 years, 20 years, but you see the fulfillment of faith. And in the same way, you see the opposite of people that have chose to build, chosen to build without Christ. And so you see that you might, you might not see their peril or their destruction straight away. But let me tell you, when you start prioritizing things outside of the Lord, five years down the track, might, might be a couple of weeks, might be a couple of months, might be a couple of years, but it comes for you eventually because you're, you're no longer grafted to the one that brings life. Uh, verse 20 to 24, we're talking here about death to old self and alive to Christ. And um, this is this idea of like God is, you know, he even says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That means there's a discipline involved. That means it's not supposed to be, oh, but that's not comfortable, so I, I don't really want that. Like, the gospel is uncomfortable. The, cost, the gospel does take work. The gospel means putting aside something, but we believe that as I put that aside, there's a better thing for me. There's a better thing for me. Um, Jesus, think about this. Jesus is the God who remained on the cross. Remember when the, the soldiers were saying, if you are the son of God, you know, pull yourself off that cross. And they were trying to get him to prove his divinity by coming off the cross. And Jesus stayed on the cross. Why? Because I think I might have wrote something. Jesus recognized the divinity, the divinity associated with carrying a cross. Do you associate the divinity with carrying a cross? When we carry a cross, that's what actually sets us apart from the world that doesn't want to carry a cross. They want everything to come to them. He's called us to be disciples, people of discipline. Amen? Okay. This is, um, we'll probably land on these, this next scripture. The, uh, chapter 4, verse 25. just want to kind of, I'm going to read through this and let it preach to you as we've run out of time. And we were going to talk about husbands and wives, children obeying their parents. I'm sure some of you would love and uh, bosses and employees and employers and all sorts of good stuff. I have to look at that another time. Check this, the fruit of this tree. This is what it looks like from verse 25. Therefore, everybody say therefore. therefore. Each of you must put off falsehood 
and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. You know what that means? That's not just like, don't be a thief. That's like, be a contributor. That is, that is coming against the spirit of like consumerism. It's right there in scripture. It's all here. It's insane. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, this is reminding us of our prophetic mission and ability. That It's not just like, hey, be kind, don't be rude. It's remembering that we've got a purpose to the words that come out of our mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, it then says, of God, which you were sealed with from the day of your redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. Again, there's the speaking, slandering, along with every form of malice, ill intent. It's because we're supposed to be speaking life. Um, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for a fra- as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And here's another one, verse three. Among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person this is, so this, is, this is where it comes from. It's like, no, a greedy person. You, why does all of this happen? It's because we're greedy. It's because we want to gratify the desires of our flesh pre-Christ, right? And so when we continue in this way, we're manifesting an old person that shouldn't exist. It's, it is actually dead. According to Scripture, it is dead. But we manifest something that doesn't belong to us. And this is the self-idolizing culture that we have where I need to be pleasured. I can't, I can't afford discipline. I can't afford this because I, I need that dopamine here. This is like, I'm preaching to myself. When I binge Netflix, when I binge junk food, all this stuff, this is the things that God's calling us to do away with. Um, sin, immorality, being impure or greedy. Not, such a person is a idolater. There it is, black and white. It summarizes all of this. You're an idolater. You've created other gods. That person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of that's the people building up other gospels. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. They've ended up disobedient. Don't be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases Him. Have nothing to do with the fruitless They're fruitless deeds of darkness. They won't bear anything. They look like they'll bear something. It looks enticing, but it only brings death. We saw it right at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. That fruit, it brought death. It is shameful. And it says, have nothing to do with them, the fruitless deeds, but rather expose them. When you see them in you, when you see them in our community, let's let's, together, this is not a pointing finger thing. Let's work together to get rid of that. Why? I mean, I'll finish with this statement. Sorry for going so over time. Um, God has called us to build an altar. We are the altar. Just quickly clarify because maybe some people think we're building a real altar, physical altar. But God has called us to present before Him an altar that is worthy of His fire. And we need, we need His presence to set us apart. Without His presence, we're just another feel-good community. You know, the atheists have tried this. It didn't work for very long. But there are other people that do things like this. You can, have, you can encourage one another and whatever else, you know. But the idea is that God would set us apart. The very power and the presence and the authority that comes with the presence of God, that would set us apart. And um, so God has called us to bring these altars before Him, setting up altars that He would bless, places, creating spaces for Him to come and break in. So that's the ultimate mission, I think, of Ephesians is like, how can, and Dad will probably talk about uh, the armor of God next week, which kind of lands in that. But it's this idea of like, guys, we've been given such an incredible gift that sets us apart from the world. We were headed for destruction, not just hell, destruction in this world. And now you've been set up. Now don't take that for granted. Let's see other people set up. 
Let's, be, let's see other people set free. And also don't go walking back into your destruction. It never helped you anyway. That the fruit of that tree is death. Don't forget what you were saved into. This is why people say it's more important what you're saved into than what you're saved out of. You gotta, you gotta know that we are saved into holiness. God has called us to contend for these things. So um, let's all stand. God has called us to present a, a worthy altar before Him. And He's called, He wants, he wants to send His fire. You know, he's, he's a God who's like so, He's so willing to pour Himself out. Back in Joel, again, one of the prophets that we can build on. Joel prophesies that in the last days, everybody say, in the last days. The Lord says He will pour His Spirit out on all flesh. All sons and daughters will prophesy every class of people. This is, this, this is Him speaking of wherever you've been, whatever you've done, all class of people, slave or free, um, you haven't messed up your opportunity to be a carrier of the presence of God, to be a carrier of revival. And so now He says, now we live in this New Testament reality. It's like, okay, we've been set up. Now let's carry it out. Let's actually create space for God to break into our families. Is there space for Him to break into your family? Is there space for Him to break into your business and your workplace? Is there space for Him to break into your, your unhealthy habits? Is there space for Him to break into our church gatherings? You know, if, if we go, I'm not, I'm not saying this because I've gone over time, forgive me. This is my lack of, I've been prepared well enough. But the, the are we, are, is our time submitted to God? Okay. Again, this, is a, this can be an evidence of idolatry. Now, I understand from time to time we've got things that we've got to go to, weddings, whatever, but it's like, not that church is everything. I'm saying if God is doing something at any point, whether it's here, in your home, or whatever, this, won't, this isn't all the time. Otherwise, we'd be really idle, immovable people. But if God is doing something, and if He's touching you, are you yielded to Him? Are you yielded to Him when you feel His Holy Spirit prompting you to tell someone about Jesus on the street and you're heading for a train and it means you're going to be late to something? How yielded are we? And so I just encourage you right now in this moment, let's just like represent ourselves to Him. Represent. You, how about you just represent yourself to the Lord in your own way right now? Whatever you have to do, fix your eyes on Him. I'm going to stop speaking in just a sec. Forget about me. Fix your eyes on Jesus and then allow Him to burn you with conviction. Don't label, condemnation, don't label conviction as condemnation. Let Him burn you with conviction, reminding you of what He has called you to be. And these vessels will be filled with His power and His presence. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and do what only you can do. We yield to you. We submit to you, Father. Giver of life, author and perfecter of our faith. We worship you, King Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.